Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Now the Mets are in this spot where they don't have a lefty in their bullpen. Oh, wait. No, they do. They called up Zach Muckenhern. The Mets are not going to Zach Muckenhern with the bases loaded in two outs to make his debut. Just doesn't feel like the right spot so your choice is do you stick with Tyler McGill or do you go to Drew Smith even though it didn't work because Smith um uh, McGill fell behind 2-0 and and then Rosario rips the double I kind of agreed with Buck I was 50-50 on it but my gut and again I'm you know doing a radio show as this is happening so I don't have like I really don't even have the information I would normally have if I'm watching the game. Like, because I know the bases are loaded. I'm not really sure what his pitch count is. Oh, wait, SNY has it up there. It's it's like different, I think. I always say this. It's so different when you're watching the game while on the air. But I just want to be honest about how I felt. I wanted to keep him in the game. Because I also like the idea of challenging him. And saying to Tyler and McGill, you know what? You haven't given up a run yet. This is your last batter no matter what. Go get this guy out. Once he falls behind Rosario, and you're obviously not making a pitching can- pitching change in the middle of an at-bat when the count is 2-0, but I knew we were screwed. Behind 2-0, it just, he wasn't going to walk him. He'd walk two guys in the inning. He was going to throw him a fat pitch right down the middle, and by God, Eddie Rosario didn't miss it. We did get the tease of the relay throw getting the runner at the plate, and this was, you know what's funny, actually, Pete, now that I'm remembering this, we signed off. The show is over as McGill is staying the game to face Rosario. This is all right at about 6.15 when our show is over. So I put the game on my phone, and I now start to walk to my office to kind of clean up and get ready to go. And I'm walking to my office as this pitch is being thrown. Now it comes back to me. And Rosario hits the crap out of it. The three runs scored to give him the lead, but you could see on the replay, oh, man, it, it, over to that. They called him at the plate. So it's actually a two-run double, final out at the plate, inning is over. But you could kind of tell that the foot was down on the replay. And so all three runs score. Braves take the three-to-two lead. Obviously, Miguel's taken out. I, honestly, I didn't have an issue with Bucks sticking with him. I, I like the challenge of it. You know, it's kind of the – the opposite of what happened in the Yankee game for anyone who didn't watch the Yankee game on Monday night where Domingo Herman's pitching a great game. He gives up a one out single in the ninth and Boone can't wait to take him out. And by the way, Herman's pitch count, very similar to where McGill's pitch count was. And Boone couldn't wait to take him out. And obviously the game implied, I don't want to get into too many details on the Yankee game. This is Rico Bronia. This is not Alvaro Espinosa. 
though he was a Met too, Alvaro Espinosa. <laughs> this isn't Mike Gallego. I'm sorry. But I liked that Buck challenged McGill. And if I was Boone, I would have challenged Tremont. There are certain times where I think you let your starters stay in just a little bit longer, especially this time of year, just to see what they got. Well, I, listen, we, we're hitting May now. So, like, we desperately need, if a pitch count is somewhat serviceable, we need the pitch to go longer, especially if McGill is going to be uh, part of this rotation for the long run. We need to f- see how long he can go into a game and how deep he can, if he can get himself out of situations. Like, I'm sorry, you can't go five innings every day, but every game is like, okay, this is successful. It's, it's, right. not, it's not possible anymore. You're right. There's a stat. We have it in our fantasy league. We as Met fans don't know anything about it because we don't get it. It's called a quality start. And while it's a flawed stat, you have to pitch six innings to get a quality start. And the Mets don't have starters that ever go six. So maybe Buck was sitting there thinking, you know what? Can this guy get me a quality start? Unfortunately, it didn't work. But then we get to what I think was my favorite part of the game. All of our favorite parts of the game. Bottom of the sixth inning, we're now trailing by a run. Game is not over. I mean, certainly against Charlie Morton in this brave bullpen. Daniel Vogelback and Mark Hanna draw back-to-back walks against Morton. We get his ass out of the game. Michael Tonkin comes in, and Brett Beatty flies out. Right, right out the gate. Now there's two outs, two on, Francisco Alvarez, and maybe, Pete, this was the moment we've been waiting for. He swings and misses at pitch one on a pitch that was well out of the strike zone. And then he gets a slider that hangs right over the middle of the plate, rips a line drive into the corner, Vogelbach scores, Canna scores, and Alvarez responds to Rosario. That's basically what it was, a two-out, two-run double by Alvarez. His bat is getting better. His defense has been steady. And like I said last time, Pete, He's playing like we can't even argue about it anymore. He started two of three games in this weird Atlanta series. I think he started two of three in the Washington series. He started two games in the San Francisco series. He started two of three in the LA series. Like he has now become the majority of the time catcher and he's earning it. He's getting better offensively. And you just see the difference. Tomas Nito gives us no shot at the plate. None. Laid down a bunch, sure, which he did in game one, great. Laid it down successfully. But Alvarez, and obviously we have to be patient about it. It didn't happen right away. But this was a huge two-run double. Not only changes the complexion of the game, but maybe for him just continues to give him confidence. Yeah, but, dude, the one thing, and I'm so sick and tired of most people, like I'm not the most patient man in the world, I won't lie. But when you're bringing up a young kid like Francisco Alvarez, who succeeded at every single level, and the one thing about him was he was a slow starter. And we bring him up, and he plays one every three games, and we expect the guy to hit a home run every game and bat 330 or whatever it is. Like, it's just not possible. He doesn't, he's not that type of player, but it comes around. I'm still not saying he's ready yet, but at least he's getting there. He's on his way to being a major league bat. Well, he's already much more of a major league bat than Nito. Buck said early on, what gives us the best chance to win? Well, it's clearly Alvarez because defensively, to our eye, he's been fine, right? To our eyes watching these games, he's been fine defensively. Tyler McGill was asked about 
uh, after the game about Alvarez calling games. And, and he was very matter of fact, like he calls the game. If I don't like the pitch, I, we do a different pitch. Like he basically just like, yeah. And that's McGill's attitude. He's got that. I don't give a crap attitude, which is good sometimes. Uh, but he, it was very simple. Like, yeah, if he calls a pitch and I don't want it, I shake it off. He calls another pitch. We move on. So for our eyes watching, I think his pitch framing has been fine. You were telling me the stats recently that his pitch framing stats are actually really good. Uh, I don't think he's a hindrance at throwing guys out. A lot of the stolen bases are on the pitchers these days anyway. And offensively, look, he's only hitting, I think it's now 215 after that base hit, whatever it is. He's obviously, even at this point and his struggles, 225 to be exact, he's already much better of a threat or much more of a threat than Tomas Nito will ever be. I mean, I get that Buck loves Nito defensively. He's hitting 111. 111. I mean, that's not, you can't play baseball on any kind of consistent basis if you're hitting 111. He also has zero extra base hits. He's got five singles. He's five for 45. He is a pitcher at the plate. So just in terms of on a day-to-day basis, who gives the Mets the best chance to win? Obviously, it's Alvarez. He's Even with his slumping, he's a better offensive player than Tomas Nito. And it's funny, after the game, I watched Buck's uh, post-game presser, and he's asked about, hey, can that hit, like, turn it around for Alvarez? And he's like, yeah, I'm hopeful. And then he went on to talk about, well, you know, he's been good defensively. Nito's been good defensively. I'm like, Buck, you don't have to compliment Nito every time you compliment Alvarez. They're not two children, you know? They're not your two kids where, oh, I complimented Alvarez. Now nah, I got it. You know, I, I better say something about Tomas Nito. I mean, stop. We all appreciate Tomas Nito's defense. He's just really, 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 really bad offensively. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's it. So, so um, that's interesting that you say how bad he is uh, offensively, good defensively. There's going to be an issue when Narvaez, it's not here just yet, but when he's ready to come back, what do you do? I can't think about that. It's so because it's not even close. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when we would talk about the rotation and it's starting to become a little bit closer because it sounds like Carrasco's on his way back, which we'll get to. When you start to get really, really close to a guy coming back, I think it's a worthy discussion. Like, I'll tell you exactly when. When Omar Narvaez goes on a rehab assignment, which God knows when that'll be, we'll have a discussion about it. I I just think that there's so much that can happen between now and Narvaez getting healthy. Not even worth thinking about. But it's a good problem to have. I mean, honestly, Alvarez performing and deserving to keep an everyday catching job is a great, great situation. Jeff McNeil hits that insurance home run. And then we see Buck do something really interesting. He goes to David Robertson in the eighth inning. And that's not even the interesting part because he's done a lot of that. And I'm, I'm already past the point where I'm not going to go nuts about it anymore. I used to. I used to get so excited and say, oh, he went, he went to the closer in the eighth inning. This is the greatest thing ever. 
I think I'm just used to it now. It made perfect sense, though. So he goes to David Robertson in the eighth inning against the better brave hitters. So I figured he was doing the same thing that, you know, I love that we've talked about. Well, let's use him. Use your best pitcher against some of the better hitters. And in this case, it was two, three, and four of the brave order. And Robertson comes in, gives up a one-out single to Austin Riley, and boom, boom, he strikes out Dan, uh, Sean Murphy, strikes at Eddie Rosario. I figured that's it. He hasn't pitched in four days. And for some reason, Buck said, bring him out for the ninth, which I was very surprised about with a two-run lead. I figured he was just flipping Robertson and Adovino when he was going to go to Otto. So he keeps Robertson in the game. And after the leadoff double by Ozzy Albies, no big deal. Boom, boom, boom. Back-to-back strikeouts of Hilliard and Harris. Gets Trump to pop up. And he gets through it. I was surprised about that. Now, his reason after the game was he was thinking about saving bullets for tomorrow, as in Tuesday night against Detroit. I didn't think using Robertson and Adovino would be wasting bullets. Both guys are available to pitch on back-to-back days. But... I don't mind it necessarily, even though David Robertson is 105 years old. I just wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting that to be a six-out save. Or maybe, Pete, he was saying to himself, I really want this game. I agree with Evan. This game matters a little bit more. We saw him do that with Diaz in the games against Atlanta. It was later last year. It certainly wasn't in May. But I I guess I like it. I don't know. I, I can't say I hate it. I was more just surprised. I didn't even have like an anger or happiness feel to it. I was just surprised he was letting David Robertson go get three more outs. Well, was this the la- the first game that Adovino would have appeared in since his paternity leave? Yes. And the last time he pitched, it was pretty awful, if I'm correct, right? He had to uh, up. I don't think so. Well, he didn't pitch Friday, so I guess the last time he would have pitched is Thursday, the game that they won. I don't think he was awful in that game. I'll double check. There was a game, I th- I thought his last appearance, something was off. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know he had a meltdown verse. I just remember him throwing the ball away. I think, was it the Washington series? Yeah, it wasn't, so, wasn't that Thursday game I was thinking about because he was already on pat- uh, paternity list. So I'm going back to the Wednesday game. Yeah, here it is. So he was, he was mediocre, no doubt. He wasn't terrible by any stretch. But in that game, he pitched the eighth inning and gave up a run. He walked the guy, gave up a hit, struck out two. I mean, he gave up a run. It wasn't, you know, he had a disengagement violation. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, he <laughs> something was there, there, there. I feel like a couple start, a couple appearances in a row for him wasn't clean. So maybe Buck just wasn't ready to get him back in the mix. Maybe he wanted to do more work with him before he actually put him in a high leverage situation. Well, well, guess what? He's going to be in a high leverage situation Tuesday because I'd be really surprised if David Robertson or Drew Smith are available. I mean, both guys pitched. Uh, a decent amount on Monday. So when you look ahead to Tuesday's game, Adam Adovino is probably going to be asked to get as many outs as he ever does. But look, bottom line was they needed that win. Needed maybe too strong. It was a game I wanted. It was a game that was a little bit more important. You get the split against Atlanta. You get the heck out of City Field avoiding disaster. It was not a good homestand, but you avoid disaster. And now the Mets begin an interesting stretch of games. They're about to embark, and I want to be careful saying this because it didn't work against the Nationals when they lost two out of three, but they are now about to see nothing but bad baseball teams until they take on the Tampa Bay Rays in a little over two weeks. They go to Detroit for three. They host Colorado for three. They go to Cincinnati for three. They go to Washington for four. 
So that is a 13-game stretch against nothing but bad baseball teams, or at least baseball teams you should handle. I'm going to give you a number right now. I shouldn't do this because I remember last year when they were facing the bad teams, we would look at the stretch and say, ah, they got to win this amount of games. And I'm not going to say 10 and three because while I would love that, I'm not necessarily saying that's what it's got to be. So I'm going to go with uh, nine and four. (laughs) Just a one game difference. Nah, I mean, if you go eight and five in the, are we mad about eight and five against these bad teams or is that not good enough? Here's the problem is eight and five is really not good enough, but the level that they play against bad teams, eight and five is acceptable. Like they drop, <laughs> they, they drop these games all the time. I know last year was so bad because I think we figured oh after the Dodgers series divisions ours. All we got to do is take care of these games and the division is ours. 